It's, you're doing a half ass. We've sworn on the podcast now. It's too late to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I have no regrets. But yeah, so it's. Hey, really, everyone. Really I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to Inner Work Ally Squared's official podcast where we learn how to better practice allyship. Ally Squared's team resides and works on the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples, but our work extends across Turtle Island. We give our respect to the first peoples of this land and commit to decolonizing efforts within our organization. Today, we're going to be talking about positionality and we're going to be using Ally Squared's very own grocery store analogy. So what is positionality? I feel like it's important to talk about. Um, I truthfully didn't know what positionality really was until, well, I would say until I started university and I Mm -hmm. started taking women and gender studies classes. That is one of my minors that I'm taking. Um, And then once I started, you know, working with you and Ally Squared, and I kind of read about the grocery store analogy that we'll explain a little later, that's when I truly had a con, like a real concept of what positionality actually is so positionality is our place in relation to others in society yeah and it's it's one of those things that we all when you explain it and when we go into the grocery store analogy it's one of those things everyone's going to say oh yeah I know about this but it's a lot of these equity things and what we deal with during training is also people already know these things they see the patterns in society they have the lived experiences of understanding these things but the official equity terms or the critical race theory terms or whatever the equity theory is that we're talking about those that terminology isn't always accessible to them and so positionality very like simply put is how you end up in the place where you are in society in terms of the opportunities you were given, not because of your merit, but because of essentially where and how you were born. Exactly. So in saying that, our position is dependent on whether society is designed by those in power to help or hinder us because of our identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it also depends on, you know, what, like what decade we were born in. It depends on what house we were born in. Um, it depends on what the government and p- power is, like you just mentioned, you seen. It also depends on what country or what geographic region you were born in. And all of those things are really important. And it's important when thinking, so when we do equity work, and I've seen this so many times, and I think this is a pet peeve of a lot of folks who do, do equity work, is people will learn through training, through reading, whatever, about these things. And then they'll say, okay, for this particular thing, we will apply like a gender, a gender perspective. And I know the government does loves to do this as their gender-based analysis mm-hmm. without understanding intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Or we're gonna apply like a race, you know, a racial lens to it. But things don't work that way. Every aspect of your identity actually intersects, like Kimberly Crenshaw has said to create a lived experience for you. And so it's important to understand that your positionality is always in interaction with the larger context of society. And by that, I don't mean your community. I don't mean that your neighborhood. I don't even mean your province or your country. I mean, literally the entire world. And so things like institutions, our laws, our cultures, our glo- where we are in global society. I mean, think about the fact that we're in a pandemic. All of those things affect um, our access to resources and how much social capital we have. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like in school and especially in Ally Squared, I've always learned and talked about um, positionality right 
right along with intersectionality. Yes. So whenever we talk about it, we always say positionality and intersectionality. And it's so important that you kind of think about those things um, within each other and within the same context, mm-hmm. because that really matters. And it's a foundation, like this concept. So the three, like you mentioned positionality and you mentioned intersectionality, the other one that comes right after it, and we're actually working on developing this in a more approachable way in our trainings right now is privilege. So Mm -hmm. how do you go from understanding where your position is in society and understanding the fact that your position also um, comes with compounded, you know, privileges and oppression, depending on the way society treats your identities. Mm -hmm. So where, like, what role does privilege play moving forward then? Right. So it's, it's always bringing that passive awareness. Okay, this is my positionality. This is how my identities intersect. This is how the identities of other people intersect. And so then we present the, okay, now what? What are you going to do with your privileges? Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I actually had this conversation with my sister um, probably a few weeks ago. She's nine. Mm -hmm. And I've been slowly trying to explain a little bit more of these concepts to her, but in a nine-year-old way that she'll understand. There you go. You're doing the intentionality commitment. I'm proud. So I used the grocery store analogy to explain to her, um, exactly, you know, what positionality is. And then I tried to explain to her what, um, what intersectionality was and she kind of grasped it so I feel like the grocery store analogy that we will explain now is very helpful the nine-year-old can understand it then hopefully most people can can. and if they can't then we want that feedback so we can adopt our model adapt our model not adopt it we've already adopted it (laughs) um yeah so this is this is how I put it imagine you were born in a town uh, and born in a specific house in this town. And you have no control over what house it is, what town it is, nothing like that. You were just born in that house. And imagine that there is a grocery store in the middle of the town. And all around the town, there's different houses. Some are really close to the grocery store, like right next door. Others are, you know, a 10, 15 minute drive away. Others are about an hour and a half away. And then there's some houses that are all the way behind rivers and lakes and mountains. And so they take, it's a track to get to the grocery store. Now, we all know that we have to go to the grocery store quite regularly. And so let's say one day we're really hungry and we want an apple. So someone who is born in a house right beside the grocery store can say, okay, I'll just go on my lunch break or I'll go really early in the morning and I'll just walk on over. It's going to take me 30 minutes max to go buy the apple, you know, take it home, wash it, eat it. And then it's my, in my tummy kind of thing. Um, for other people, they're like, okay, you know, I'll go at the end of the day when I have more time or I'll go, you know, maybe on the weekend. Um, and then there's people who live in those mountains and by those lakes and they have to take a whole day off of work or, you know, they have to really allocate some time to get there and a lot of effort and energy. And by the time they get to the grocery store, there are no more apples left. Mm-hmm. And so positionality is all about your access to this one grocery store. So where you were born out of no decisions or merit of yours makes you get easier access or makes it more difficult for you to access certain resources in society. And now take this on a macro level. This is, let's say, access to healthcare. 
and we live in a pandemic right now. So access to healthcare is gigantic. Mm -hmm. Access to financial resources, access to, you know, mental health services, access to food, all of these things are determined by your positionality. And so while this model is really simplified, and it just talks about a grocery store and an apple, you can apply this model to essentially anything in your life and how you got access to it. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to say is that positionality doesn't erase um, merit. Yeah. But know that you even, it's about opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so to even sometimes get that opportunity and win against the competition of others, you know, that is privilege to, to even have access to that, to be able to do it. Exactly. And it doesn't negate your intersectionality or your identities, positionality doesn't negate all of those things but when we you know kind of look at it with a different type of a lens we can see who kind of has that privilege usually in society and who doesn't and who lives in the houses that are typically closer to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and who doesn't yeah that's a really good point about like who does and who doesn't and who makes those decisions. So there you can talk, let's go into identity. There's identities that you were just born with and then identities that you have otherwise. So for example, you know, you were born of a certain race. Race is a social construct, gender is a social construct, but in our current society and the way it perceives things, you were born um, in a certain race with a certain gender, with certain sexuality, all of those things are who you are intrinsically. So Mm -hmm. that's not a decision you've made. Mm -hmm. You know, other things, for example, how much money your parents make are decision are, you know, byproducts of your parents' positionality and the work that your parents have done. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things like whether you were born in a rural area, an urban area, again, that's not on you, but it's on the people who, you know, um, raised you and where they grew up and the decisions they made. And so when we think about all of this, we also have to take into consideration the ways our government and our social structures uphold certain decisions of who gets to be in what house. Exactly. And so certain laws, you know, will provide access to certain people. So a really good example of that is um, a lack of guaranteed livable basic income. Mm-hmm. Leah Gazan talked about this with us a couple episodes ago. So with a lack of that in our society right now, the government has made an intentional decision to not provide financial security to folks. Mm-hmm. So certain folks will not be allowed to even purchase a house in that area because it's not within their means. Yeah. And I mean, when we look at, so when you look at the historical um kind of the history behind people who were able to buy houses and who were not able to buy houses and who were able to buy houses in what area Mm -hmm. and in what city. And um, so when we look at that, it was typically people of color who were in these very rundown houses and areas and communities, and they were not able to buy houses in um, communities that were, I guess, you know, suburbia dream. Yeah. Um, and this really, this kind of historical, um, systemic institutionalized decision-making decision-making is kind of what has also shaped your positionality and your identities. So when you look at things that way, it just really shows you how your identity and your positionality 
it all coincides. Yeah, absolutely. And Yasmin just talked about the historical and, you know, I, I also want to talk about the present and you Mm -hmm. think of, you know, we live in what's currently called Canada. And if you think of the Northwest Territories or Yukon, all of those places up North, they don't have access to food security. You know, food there is really, really expensive and that's how it's been designed and Mm -hmm. uh, preserved by the government. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that has, that's going to have an impact on so many different generations. And then again, in highlighting who is up there, a lot of indigenous communities are mm-hmm. up there. So again, we see systemic racism. Yeah. And so, like you said, Yasmin, there's no way to apply intentionality as a framework, or it's not intentionality, oh my gosh, positionality yeah. as a framework without considering everything. And I think this is what folks have a really hard time doing mm-hmm. is it's so much simpler to say, I'm going to apply this lens and I'm going to apply that lens yeah. without properly understanding that you can't just pick and choose like that. Everything is so interconnected that mm-hmm. you need to have a holistic understanding of these things. And I think it's, you know, it would be really interesting if we navigated through that. And I've done so many exercises during trainings or you know, the different panels I do or talks I do. Um, and I know we did this during Ally Squared's first anniversary telethon is have people f- unpack their positionality. And for yeah. me, I think it's, it's really a learning journey because the biggest part, the biggest learning I did through unpacking my positionality is realizing that my positionality has drastically changed throughout my life. Yeah. So I grew up on the outskirts of Lahore, Pakistan. Mm-hmm in a really affluent family, very upper middle class. I went to private school. I had access to great education, but I didn't have access to, um, you know, rights as a young woman or a Mm -hmm. young girl at that time, or had, you know, access to security, given the fact that there were some bomb blasts and gunshots everywhere and political instability. Um, I also wasn't always safe in the places I was. And so all of that has, you know, affected my positionality. Um, Coming to Canada has awarded me with a lot of privileges. So my positionality has now changed in in a comparison to people all over the world Mm -hmm. is I have Canadian citizenship. That's one of the most powerful passports in the world. Um, I have university education that's, especially in a Western country, that means a lot in most places I go to. That's a whole other thing to unpack. I can dedicate <laughs> yeah. a whole episode to colonial yeah. views of what is better education, what isn't. But all of those things have changed. You know, you and I are living together yes. very soon in a very urban city. Yep. And so that also has a big, you know, impact on our positionality is going to change because our access to resources is going to increase even more in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important as a Muslim woman in Canada has been very different in terms of my positionality compared to in Pakistan, where most people are Muslim. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I don't wear a hijab. So that also, you know, I'm not subject to visible, like, people can't see that I'm Muslim. And so I'm safe from a lot of things. So all of those things, you know, compound and the ways that I can access opportunities systemically. We don't have free education in, in um, Canada. And so I took out loans for my education, which means that I'm in student debt and debt has a really serious effect on people's um, financial security for the rest of their life and their children, future generations. And so that's another aspect that 
really connects with the systemic. So all of those things to say that unpacking your positionality really makes you realize how connected you are to other parts in society and how much difference you can make once you're aware of your privileges and you use them um, to create equity in society. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so important to just, I've been taking a lot of time to kind of sit there and think, wow, like where I am in society, even though I might complain about certain things or I might feel like I've been done so wrong by other, Mm -hmm. you know, by certain people or other things or certain parts of my identity that people have, you know, disagreed with or said things about. And you sit there and you think, well, I can walk across the street and Mm -hmm. I can go to the grocery store. Yep. And this is literally the, and I am lucky enough that my dad has paid for my education. I don't have those debts. And so in that way, our positionality is completely Mm -hmm. different. And you really realize, you know, all of your um, privilege that you do have. Mm -hmm. I am also Muslim, but I am also white passing. Mm -hmm. So it's also different for me. I have a different um, experience being Muslim and not being, you know, visibly a person of color. Mm-hmm. So I think once you totally unpack your positionality, you're unpacking all the privilege that you have and you're unpacking all of your different identities and what it means to live those identities in our society today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that I hear in response to this all the time is, oh, are you saying my life isn't hard? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really, people get defensive mm-hmm. and defensiveness is one of the the biggest barriers that I've seen Mm -hmm. while doing training, while doing workshops in terms of learning, because you feel like you're there to be attacked Mm -hmm. when really you're there to know more, right? Yeah. And learn more. So what I say to that is always, you know, just because your life is hard, you know, we're not saying your life isn't hard. Mm -hmm. We're saying that your life isn't even harder because people are racist. You know, we're not saying that you are subjected to sexism. We're not saying that you're subjected to transphobia. We're not saying, you know, those, all those things compounded with whatever hard things that you've had to face in your life, you know, that's a whole different reality. And so, you know, you could have grown up white or you could be white and grown up in really poor housing with lack of access to financial security. And you could have had a really hard life. Yeah. But being white and having financial insecurity versus being black and having financial insecurity versus being indigenous and having financial insecurity are completely different lived experiences. And so that's where positionality is so important is for you to realize that, yes, a lot of people have really hard lives, right? But sometimes those hard lives aren't compounded by other forms of oppression. And so I think the ways that we talk about this and the ways that we have discussions with folks really need to be coming from a place of, I want to learn more and I want to unpack why even I get so defensive. What is it about, you know, what am I, I'm fear, uh, you know, what I'm experiencing, I, maybe it's, I don't want people to discount what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, I don't want people to think less of me. I don't want people to think that, you know, everything in my life came easy, all of those things. Um, but the one answer to all of that is always still, you didn't have to experience that added level of 
whatever kind of oppression. Yeah. And I think I can really speak to this as well, because I think I've gone through some of that feeling of defensiveness. Like I obviously have gone through things like everyone else has gone through things. And my family did not always have money when I was younger. We actually were quite hard up at some Mm -hmm. points. And I used to feel like, well, don't discount me because I haven't, you know, had the same experiences as you. I've had bad experiences too. And I've gone through things too. And that's fine. You've gone through things. No one is discounting those things. It's just realizing that while you've gone through through things, you also have privilege in other aspects that some people don't have privilege. And that doesn't discount anyone's life experiences or what they've gone through or um, their identities as a whole. Like it, it's not discounting who you are as a person and what has made you the way that you are. It's just to say that we just all have different experiences based on those identities. So I think it's important to just kind of take a step back sometimes and be like, you know what, I have gone through things, but my experience in life is different than your experience Mm -hmm. in life. And I think that's true for both of us. Like I've seen us have different experiences, um, even just with people saying our names or Mm -hmm. things like that. Like people might be more racist towards you, even though I have an ethnic name the same way that you also do. But because I look white, I'm not going to have the same experience that you have. I have more privilege in that sense. So, which is just a small little Mm -hmm. example, but um, all of that to basically just reiterate what you're saying. No, you did it really well. (laughs) And I think at the end of the day, at the heart of what that is, we have to also talk. And I push for this so much. And I try so hard to get people to meet me where I'm at on this is the idea that allyship is seen in its current form as so one-to-one, peer-to-peer, or, you know, something you see for one situation you see and you do something, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'm really trying to advocate for and what art organization is really really trying to push for is an understanding that all of these individual experiences all of these group experiences all of them have to do with systems and by systems I don't just mean institutions although they have a really huge impact Mm -hmm. I also mean social systems right like when is it okay to assume certain things about like why even you being white passing and me not being white passing do we still experience that kind of, you know, hate because of our names, right? Mm -hmm. Like why has the social system been designed to prioritize anglicized names, Mm -hmm. right? Why have social systems enabled certain um, behaviors about black women's hair? Why have social systems decided that they are going to um, you know, oppress someone in a certain workplace or not allow someone to be at the head of a workplace. All of those things have so much to do with systems. And that's why one of our pillars of allyship that Ally Squared has created, it's collectivism. Mm-hmm. Because you have to understand that when you're thinking about your positionality, it has so much to do with everyone else in this world, every mm-hmm. single other person in this world, that your allyship can't not be collectivist. If it's individualist, you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it half, 
half-ass. I was going to stop and say, but whatever. You're doing a half-ass. We've sworn on the podcast now. It's too late to go back. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I have no regrets. But yeah, so it's really, really important for us to understand that when we make, when we think of allyship and when we decide that, okay, we're going to commit our life mm-hmm. and it has to be our entire lives to practicing effective and active allyship, you have to also look at the way that systems need to be dismantled. The ways that when you create environments, you decide alongside all the other allies in your life, all the other people who have experienced oppression in your life, that you're not going to let folks get away with certain social systems. And you're going to not actively participate in those social systems. And you're not going to spend your money on certain institutions and all of those things. Because at the very core of it, positionality is key to understanding how to be a better ally. Exactly. Couldn't have uh, said it better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think it's really important for us to close off on the idea that equity has to be really accessible. Mm. And models like the grocery store analogy are created to provide access. And that's not from an assumption that some type of person is less intelligent or that they won't understand a theory. It's from the assumption that whoever we talk to has to be able to relate with these things. Well, that's us recognizing our positionality and our privilege that we had the access to the education and the, you know, ability to learn all of these, you know, concepts and things that go on in our world and we can put a a name to it Mm -hmm. and a term to it. And not everyone has that. Not everyone is able to learn about these things the same way that we've been able to. So it needs to be done in an accessible way. And it's also, it provides a starting point, right? Mm -hmm. Like the most integral place begin this work and make an impact is by starting you know something obviously you got to follow through don't just yeah. half ass yeah. it whoa um, did it twice there's a lot happening in here today um but you can't so yeah. you have to make sure that you are the way that you talk to your little sister can also be the same language you use to someone like to your grandfather it can be the same language that you use to one of your clients at work you know mm-hmm. it's, just, it's the same language and it's getting us that foundational learning so then we can build off exactly. and so to everyone listening I think my biggest message to you is to be more aware of your positionality and I don't mean that at a one point I mean check in with yourself regularly and the ways that you react in defense to certain you know, things that are said to you or new knowledge that you find, you got to unpack that too, because that's related and recognize that, you know, your positionality has so much to do with other people and their experiences in life. And the question that I end off with is, so now what, what are you going to do now? And so um, I really hope that that's resonated with you. Um, I think our our last announcement is that this is the last episode of season one. Yes, it is. And we've had a great time. This is, yeah, this has been the first time you and I have ever done a podcast. And so it's been a learning journey. And that's why we constantly ask folks to give us feedback. But I think having these conversations in a very authentic, natural way Mm -hmm. without, you know, overly scripting it or without trying to 
be someone we're not mm-hmm. has been really amazing for me to be able to figure out the, the ways that I need to grow and learn too. Yeah. And I, I have to say this whole experience has really taught me so much. I feel like I've done so much learning throughout this little podcast journey. And even when, you know, I, Uswa does a lot of the talking <laughs> and that's just our friendship in general, but we, I've genuinely learned so much throughout all this. And I feel like I'm so excited for us to keep doing this so I can keep learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to thank our amazing team who we literally can't do this without. Like it won't happen. No. Yeah. Um, I want to thank Holly for doing all of our research. And I want to thank Megan for finding us amazing guests and doing all of that coordination. And I also want to thank Noor for editing our podcast and making us look so, or sound Sound. so much better. (laughs) Yeah, she the whole team is just, we, we work together and truly we couldn't get the work done without them. And the core tenant of Ally Squared and the reason we work and the reason we've been able to do so much in the year without, you know, having any really financial support as an organization has been because all of us truly care and we care about each other and we love each other. And I don't want to sound like so hippie about it, but really like genuinely the amount of relationships in a very radical and a very authentic way that have been created through this process have just been amplified through this podcast through the guests that we meet through the real conversations we have that sometimes make us tear up and sometimes make us realize oh my god this person who seems so far out of reach in our life is actually so close to us mm-hmm. and we believe the same things and we care and so Um, Thank you all for listening and we will definitely be back in the summer. We're going to take this time to plan summer episodes and make sure that we are um, meeting your expectations and what you want to learn. And that's why we always ask you to give us feedback. And so follow us at Ally2Squared on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook or visit www.allysquare.ca to access our podcast episodes or resource database and learn more about our projects. Yeah, and thank you all for listening. Normally, I would say our episodes occur bi-weekly on Sundays, but this is going to be the last one until the summer. So stay tuned. Keep visiting us on social media, and we'll let you know when we're coming back. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.